public land. It sets us apart from virtually any other country in the world. Montanans know how to manage a species a whole lot better than a bunch of D.C. bureaucrats, as we've seen demonstrated by the wolves. It's a unique part of our American ideals and our Montana heritage. It's something we've got to keep fighting for. This is Senator Steve Daines of Montana, and you're listening to The Wild Initiative. Put down your latte and pull on your boots. You and I and everybody listening to this owns 640 million acres. I think he killed more deer drinking his coffee, smoking a cigarette in the pickup truck than I did spending all that time freezing my butt off. Something that I would hope is that people realize that those are wild animals and they have savage natures. I look forward to packing animals out. I look forward to that pain of success. Doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter where you live. I've said it before and you know what? I'll say it again louder for the people in the back. Your present circumstance should not limit your passions. This is Jay Scott of the Jay Scott Outdoors podcast. Hey, this is Ryan Callahan. Hi, this is Jules McQueen. Hey everybody, Jason Carter here with Epic Outdoors. Hey guys, this is Tim Burnett with Solo Hunter. You're listening to The Wild Initiative. Hey y'all, welcome to another episode of The Wild Initiative brought to you as part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. All right, y'all. So on today's episode, I am super honored to have Senator Steve Daines of Montana to join me here. Senator Daines, thank you so much for uh, hopping on, taking some time out of your very busy schedule to join me. Hey, Sam, I'm really glad to be with you. This is a highlight of my day. <laughs> I was going to, I hope so. I like to think so. Um, <laughs> uh, so I would love it, you know, uh, just to start out, if you could give us some quick background about yourself and how you were introduced to hunting and fishing and the outdoors. Yeah. Well, I tell you that the best decision I ever made, Sam, was when I picked my great, great grandma. She she homesteaded North of Great Falls, Montana. And uh, that's how our family got out to Montana. So I, you know, all my memories growing up were in Montana. I went to kindergarten through college in Bozeman. So I went to Longfellow School down there on South Tracy in Bozeman. I'm a Bozeman Hawk. I'm an MSU Bobcat. And I thought everybody grew up like this because I didn't know <laughs> different about uh, this Montana way of life. And I have great memories as a little kid going out with my grandpa and my dad fishing the sweetgrass, which is a stream that comes off the crazy mountains off, off the east slopes there near Big Timber. And we would meet in Big Timber, and my grandpa would give me a, a little a Siloflex browning rod with a, with a fly rod with an automatic reel. We had the wicker creels. 
and grant with the irrigation boots, you know, it didn't have the fancy sim waders back then. Mm-hmm. And, and that, and we would, we would go after brown trout and, and grandpa said, there's two flies. There's a bitch crick and a woolly bugger. That's all you need. <laughs> and literally we didn't have these fancy fly boxes. It was just either a bitch crick or a woolly bugger. And my grandpa, I literally, my grandpa would put me on his back. He'd wave the stream. I'd be hanging around his neck and he'd set me down on the gravel bar and he cast and then he'd hand me the rod and he hooks up. And that's my first introduction to fly fishing as a little kid. And but then I grew up, of course, learning how to do it and fly fishing, of course. But those were all my memories. And then we, we used to chase antelope out there, white tails, mule deer. But those are my memories of growing up. And that's before Montana really got discovered. It just was a sleepy little place. Bozeman was a small little town of about 14,000 people once upon a time. But uh, it was the love of the outdoors that really passed on me from my grandpa Danes from Billings and my dad, Claire Danes, uh, who uh, still lives in Bozeman. You know, I'll tell you that that speaks a lot to me because, uh, you know, down in my kitchen up above my cabinets, I have my uh, my grandfather's Creole and my great grandfather's wicker Creole both displayed up there with the old metal fly boxes. And um, and so that speaks a lot to me. I do have a lot of family history out here in Montana and I actually have an incredible picture of my great great grandfather. Uh, black and white photo with the biggest mule deer you've ever seen up towards uh, the Kalispell area. Oh, really? Um, mm-hmm. Well, you know, and back back in those days, uh, we used to keep fish. You know, I, I now you know, I, I release everything I catch, but uh, back then we kept fish, and I, I have all these memories and pictures. We we take a ski pole, we come home, and we lay it out a, a, against a two uh, like folding chairs, uh, lawn chairs and hang the fish up there and take pictures. <laughs> you know, I mean, right now, most of my fish would be horrified by all the fish we used to keep. But that was the old school way back in the 60s and 70s. That's the way we did it. Before, before I, as I say, before Brad Pitt discovered fly fishing and ruined it for <laughs> <laughs> You know, and honestly, that's how, that's how I grew up fishing, too. That was kind of the one really outdoorsy thing I did every year we'd go on vacation and we'd go rod and reel fishing and uh, lake fishing and we would catch rainbow trout and we'd just always keep them and we'd fry them up. And that was like the highlight with, you know, that first day when we caught fish, mom would, mom would fry them up for us on vacation. So this whole catch and release thing is all pretty new to me. I'm like, wait, we're not, we're not eating this thing. Okay. Okay. I'm figuring it out. And I'll tell you what, Sam, I still, I mean, I respect and, and, uh, and, and have no problem with many Montanans who still, they catch fish to eat them. It's, they're, del- they're delicious. And in fact, um, growing up in Bozeman, I spent a lot of time up in the Beartooths, as well as the Spanish Peaks and the Highlight Rings. But I, I, I made it a passion to spend as much time as I could in the Beartooths, in those high mountain lakes where we're throwing usually an elk hair caddis and catching all kinds, you know, cuts, sometimes brookies from the old days of bucket biology when we used to plant them, you know, back then, history <laughs> the Beartooths and, and fish, fisheries, like golden trout. But there we'll keep fish, you know, that, that's a way we can uh, supplement the, uh, uh, the dehydrated food. But I still do that today. We still get up in the, in the high country a lot and, uh, and enjoy, enjoy those uh, pristine waters. I definitely think there's a, there's a place for, for both traditions, you know, the catch and release and, and being able to keep those native, native trout or native fish in those streams. But then also, yeah, there's a, there's an opportunity for people to go out and, you know, like many of us grew up and catch those fish and, and grill them up later or in the field that day. Yeah. 
Uh, so I want to I want to say a a very big congratulations on the recent election. Um, I was watching watching it with bated breath, uh, you know, again as a new Montanan. So I I wanted to to extend my congratulations for you and talk maybe a little bit about it. Well, thanks, Sam. I, I can tell you, I'm glad that's over. <laughs> <laughs> I can I can imagine that gets a little bit stressful at times, and you know I. Uh, in my time in Montana, I always like to tell people Montana was always on my way home wherever I happened to be. So I would I would uh, spend a lot of time in in Montana whenever I would get a get a chance. And coming up to the election, there were a lot of ads that were running. And you know, I I knew of you as a sportsman, as a proponent of public lands and a proponent of hunting and fishing in the outdoors. And but there was a lot of ads that were didn't seem to fit that narrative that were, were coming out against you. And, and, you know, I'd love it if you could maybe talk about some of those and, and really clear the air, you know, about your, your history with, with public lands and the outdoors and kind of confront those, those ads, if you will. Yeah. Well, first of all, Sam, I think after we saw the results of the election last fall, uh, we were very thankful and, and grateful. We, we had a 10 point win. I don't think anybody saw that coming. We, we had a very convincing victory against a very tough opponent. He, governor Bullock was a very popular governor. He never lost a race in his political career. And, and we were very thankful for a solid victory. And I think it probably shows Sam that those attacks just didn't work. It just didn't fit with, uh, with where I think most Montanans knew where I was at in my positions and frankly, my record. And, you know, one of the things we have as a real gift as Americans and as Montanans is public lands. It sets us apart from virtually any other country in the world. You know, you go over to Europe and you know, people can travel and see the castles and the chateaus and eat some nice food. But I tell you what, if you want to get out and enjoy, you want to fish or you want to hunt, that is reserved kind of for the kings and the queens. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. some, that's the reason we had a revolution in our country here, this idea of America, freedom. And frankly, our public lands, that we are still a state like Montana where a mom or a dad or an uncle or an aunt, grandpa or grandma can go down to Walmart or Bob Ward's or Sportsman's Warehouse and buy that elk tag over the counter and literally within a half hour be at a trailhead or somewhere and on public lands hunting or fishing. That's a remarkable heritage we have, and we must protect that. We never want to turn Montana into the land of the rich and famous where only they would have access to the amazing topography we have in our state. And it's a unique part of our American ideals and our Montana heritage. It's something we've got to keep fighting for. And we still have millions of acres of public lands in Montana. They're inaccessible to the public because of the nature of, of sections and, um, and the fact you can't, you, you can't corner cross and so forth. And so, there's there's other battles we will have, continue to have here to get access for sportsmen and women to more of our public lands. And I I have uh, seen that you know I saw that victory as as a huge statement you know like you said uh, you know you I kind of had to laugh at those ads they were they were just so ridiculous you know you have the very dramatic music and then the guy at the end with his bow and arrow and saying oh I'm a real sportsman I'm like rolling my eyes at this I'm like look at his record look at the things he's done so you know I want to thank you for being such a huge advocate for uh, for sportsmen and women here in the state of Montana well Sam well thank you those are kind words and and I think what Montanans want to see in this debate on public lands. They want to, they want to first have a balanced approach. In other words, 
as we think about the different designations, whether they're wilderness areas, which limit access. And by the way, I, I've, I was a proponent of uh, some wilderness bills. We moved some significant conservation bills, the Heritage Act, which expanded to Bob Marshall here uh, several years ago. I was part of making that happen. And, and I, my wife and I and our family, we love enjoying the wilderness at time. Throw a backpack, never have to worry about a motorized vehicle. There's something very special about wilderness. However, we can't turn the entire state into wilderness. We want to have multiple use as well. And we want to be able to have the ability to harvest timber uh, and forest management and mining in Montana. According to strict environmental standards, we can do it responsibly. My point is, if we don't have that balance, then you're going to have to be rich and famous to live here. And, and we can't let that happen. And so I think it's that balanced approach that I hope I can always bring to the debate. Uh, and I find that most Montans are in that middle 80%. The extremes on the 10% on either edge don't speak for the majority of Montanans. And I definitely think that is an, the absolute ideal approach to things is finding that balance. So again, like you said, you know, not, the entire state can't be wilderness, you know, and it, it is only to the benefit of Montanans to see this, this mixed use approach, as long as it preserves the, the heritage of, of hunting and fishing in the outdoors and uh, still have those incredible opportunities that unfortunately I didn't get to grow up with, but uh, many, many uh, Montana residents did. And Sam, you know, one of the concerns we have as sportsmen is the decline in the number of you know, fishing licenses being sold, hunting licenses being sold kids growing up with firearms or bows, that, that's actually on a decline, not on the increase when you look at young people. And so I think it's important for us to make sure we continue to make our public lands easily accessible because uh, we, we don't want additional barriers put up that in some way would keep that parent or that young person from getting out on our public lands. And so that's the balance we want to strike here to encourage it because as we all know, some of the best things for our souls is to get outside get away from our phones, go to this place where there is no cell service mm -hmm. <laughs> and get out there and enjoy, enjoy, uh, enjoy our creation. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At MidwayUSA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. So uh, on the, again, the topic of your advocacy for, uh, for sportsmen in, in our government, in our legislation, I, I recently just watched actually uh, your questioning during, during the nomination of uh, Representative Holland for uh, Secretary of the Interior. And I've got to say, I, I've not seen anything, anyone that has fought so hard. Your questioning, I feel like, really revealed her unpreparedness 
to address these issues that are so critical uh, to sportsmen in, in the United States. Um, I really appreciated uh, your questions about uh, the Endangered Species Act, uh, delisting of, of grizzly bears in particular, and uh, really your push to let science be what direct, the science and data be what directs rather than emotions and partisan legislation. You know, it, it's kind of a flashback to where we were with the wolves years ago. Uh, when the wolves were reintroduced to Yellowstone Park in 95, uh, and they set specific recovery targets. And as you know, wolves are not going to be respecters of boundaries. When they see <laughs> you know, the Yellowstone Park line, it's not like they stop there. They go, they go right across. And, and, and we should celebrate the recovery of a species. The idea here is to take an endangered species and take it off the list and celebrate the recovery and use science and data to drive our decision-making. And it wasn't until 2011 when the wolves were delisted, returned the management back to the state of Montana as a predator. And now I think we're back to a better balance on wolves uh, in terms of respecting the fact that they're an amazing animal. They're incredible to watch, uh, but they also need to be managed. Same thing is true with grizzly bears. And that's what I probed the question there of Representative Holland. Uh, Sam, the numbers speak for themselves. We're way above recovery targets. It used to be 300 bears in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. Now it's 500 bears. Well, the conservative estimates is about 750 bears. There's probably closer to 1,000 bears. But any way you measure it, we're well over it. And I just asked her, I said, do you agree that we should move forward with delisting the grizzly bear and returning the management back to the state of Montana, Idaho, Wyoming? And, uh, of course, she did not give me an answer. And she said, we need to listen to the bears. And uh, I, my response is we can listen to science and listen to Montanans who have a different view on that. I, I, I actually, I had a moment where I laughed out loud. I was watching the video of the questioning and you asked her, you're like, what, what were you thinking in this moment when you sponsored this legislation to effectively in perpetuity protect, uh, you know, leave these grizzly bears under federal protection. Right. And her response was something along the lines of, I just felt bad for the bears or something. It, it, it made me laugh out loud because it was so ridiculous. Someone that you would expect to be so based in science and data made a, a very aggressive decision based solely on her feels. Well, I, again, this should be a data focused science-based decision. And, uh, whether it's the greater Yellowstone ecosystem that we're looking at in those populations where they're clearly above the recovery target or along the Rocky Mountain front. There's certainly, you know, you talk to farmers and ranchers there in the, you know, Shoto, Valier, Bynum up along the front. Those bears are now out running in the wheat fields like they were when Lewis and Clark came through uh, because they're out of habitat. I mean, the, the bear population has increased so much, they've got more, many more space to roam. In fact, my great-great-grandma's homestead is, uh, is outside of Conrad, Montana. I mean, we've got grizzly bears out there in wheat fields now. And so it's time to delist the bear. Let's celebrate the fact that the bears have recovered. And I can tell you what, Sam, Montanans know how to manage a species a whole lot better than a bunch of D.C. bureaucrats, as we've seen demonstrated by the wolves. I just don't think people really understand that delisting doesn't mean we're trying to wipe out the grizzlies. It just means we're leaving it to the states to, to manage. And I think that's important. But well, and, and Sam, on that point, you've made a great point there, Sam, because as part of the delisting, like we did with wolves, 
the states are required to keep a minimum number of, of whether it's wolves or in this case it'd be bears as well as breeding pairs of wolves. In other words, it's carefully monitored. And as sportsmen, we have to make sure we are good stewards of how we manage our wolf population so that we would never have that taken away from us if we in any way weren't managing it in the right way as prescribed by the law. So as we're kind of winding down here, I know you've got to, you've got to get off to a vote. So I really appreciate your time and I want to be respectful of that. But as we're winding down, uh, say you encountered someone that didn't have the, the incredible experience growing up in Montana that you did. Maybe they're from a city, maybe they're from a non-hunting family, but they've fallen in love with it and they want to get into the outdoors, but maybe they feel a little intimidated. What advice would you give that person or words of inspiration would you give someone that has a passion for the outdoors and wants to get into it? Yeah, well, it's a really good thing if they have that passion, but we've just been blessed by growing up with a heritage passed on. Um, well, first of all, listen to, uh, to what you have to say, Sam. Be a, be a loyal listener, Sam, because it truly having informs uh, views and you help sportsmen with what you do here, getting the word out. But I, I think it, you, know, you go, go find somebody that, that enjoys the outdoors and does it. A mentoring program is really helpful. And I've done that. I, I literally here two years ago, there was a son of a friend of mine who uh, wanted to get into hunting. And he didn't, he never hunted. I took him out. I kind of act like the guide, if you will. And I helped him get a mule deer buck and lay down side by side. We, we spent some time ahead of time in shooting and ethics and so forth around how do you make a good clean shot. And then I took him on a sneak and prepared him. And I kind of coached him through the whole thing. And quite, I watched him shoot his first mule deer buck. And, and so I think a mentoring kind of program can be really helpful to find somebody uh, that, that knows more. And, you know, there's so much available online as well. So many YouTube videos not that you can become an expert only online, <laughs> you gotta get outside. But, but uh, uh, I, th- I think finding a mentor, Sam, is something that, that can really help. If you didn't have a father, a mother, or a grandfather, guys, you were growing up that did it. Well, Senator Danes, thank you so much for uh, taking the time at, again out of your busy schedule to join me on the podcast. It's been an absolute honor to sit down and speak with you. Hey, likewise, Sam, and keep doing what you're doing here to get the word out. All right, y'all, that'll do it for this episode of The Wild Initiative. Again, a huge thank you to Senator Danes for taking the time out of his very busy schedule to sit down, have a fantastic conversation with me about hunting, fishing, the outdoors. Y'all, make sure to go check out the show notes page at thewildinitiative.com. Get links to everything we talked about in today's episode. That'll do it for this week, y'all. Looking forward to next time. But until then, I hope this podcast inspired you to get involved, get outdoors, and plan your initiative for the wild. Thank you for listening to the Wild Initiative. Please take a moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher and head on over to thewildinitiative.com to get show notes, check out the blog, gear discounts, other podcasts from the Wild Initiative family, and more. You're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network, brought to you in part by HuntStand, the number one hunting and land management app. Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.